Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, we're, of course, continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, and Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior. And as we continue this morning, we're seeing Jesus in his ministry, and it's really on a new direction. We saw the last time, or last couple of times, that he made this declaration that he was going to Jerusalem, that he was going to die and rise again and pay for the sins of the world. This is sort of the change in our study, because from this time on, Jesus will be looking toward Jerusalem. And his Galilean ministry is really about over. The focus for the rest of the book is going to be on Jesus approaching his death and resurrection. And this morning, as we look at this passage, there's a a number of events that flow together. We see Jesus showing his authority over demons. And we're going to see the issue of believing and not believing. We'll see how that fits together. Then we see things about like pride and humility. And we think about what does it mean to be great for God. And there's a lot in these few verses. So we want to be encouraged as we study because we want to see faith and pride and authority and humility. There's a lot there. Well, let's begin with this question. Do you want to be great for God? Do you want to do great things? Well, how do you do that? How can we be great for God? As we look at our passage, we're going to see a truth that stands out that's really missed by the world. Because, see, the world says, if you want to be great, you've got to be the boss, you've got to be the leader, you've got to be successful, you've got to have money, you've got to have power, you've got to have prestige. But we find that Jesus says that greatness is humility, to be a servant. If you're going to be great for God, you have to serve Him. And this morning, the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest, Now, they're not arguing over who's going to be great in the kingdom. They're arguing over which one of them is the greatest. And we'll see it. And Jesus uses a little boy to show greatness. Because as we come to God in humility as a child, we find that we can be used by God as he works in and through us for his glory. This is greatness, the greatness for God. May we understand this as we look at the passage. Well, let's begin. Jesus has made a change. He told his men that he was going to Jerusalem, that he's going to be rejected, he's going to be killed, and then he'll rise again on the third day. He's going to fulfill the plan of the Messiah. He has come as the Savior of the world. And as the Messiah and Savior, he must die, he must pray for sin, he must rise again, he must conquer death, and he indeed is the Savior of the world. The rest of the Gospel of Luke, and you can think about it, you say, well, there's 24 chapters in Luke. It is, and we're in chapter 9, but really from this point on, the rest of the Gospel of Luke, the main focus is going to be Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for us to die and pay for our sins. And of course, the rest of the gospel, most of the gospel is going to be once he gets there and that last week of his life. And if you've actually studied the gospels, you realize that most of the gospels, each one of those four gospels, most of the books are taken up with the last week of Jesus' life. Sometime, check it out, see what chapters are there, and you'll find that most of the books are the last week of his life. So this is the focus now heads on that way. Last time we saw a very famous event. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes three of his men, Peter, James, and John. They go up on top of a mountain. He told them that some of them wouldn't die until they saw the kingdom. He takes them on the mountain. He changes right in front of them to look as if he is going to look when he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's an amazing thing. And so they see it. And, of course, we saw that it's very powerful because they see him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Peter wanted to stay on the mountain. He said, hey, this is a great idea. Let's get some booze. Let's get some little places for you and Moses and Elijah. And you can stay up here. This will be great to stay on top of the mountain. Well, the truth is, it would be great to be in the kingdom, but it's not time for the kingdom, so they had to come down off the mountain, because there's work to be done. We're going to find today that as they come down off the mountain, they are met by this crowd. There's a big crowd of people, there's some religious leaders, there's a man there, and the man has a son, a boy that is demon-possessed. What's going to go on? What's, what's Jesus going to say? What's Jesus going to do? 
there's a number of issues in these verses, ranging all the way from believing and not believing to humility and pride. So let me, let me break down the passage for you. I want you to see it. First of all, we're looking at verses 37 through 50. The first part is Jesus healing the boy, the, the demon-possessed boy. It's a very powerful passage. We're going to see some things in there. Then we're going to see Jesus tells of his coming death, verses 44 and 45. And you know it's amazing. They don't get it. We'll talk about it. Third, we're going to see greatness with God. And that's the thing we kind of talk about. What, what does it mean to be great? How are we going to be great? He shows us how. And then the very last part of this passage deals with unity in ministry because they say this guy is out there doing the same thing they're doing and they tried to stop him. We'll see what Jesus says about that. Well, what happens? Jesus took Peter, James, and John, went on top of the mountain. They've just come down from the mountain. These three disciples saw Jesus as the king. It's very powerful. They see what he's like when he comes as the Messiah. Now, as they come down off this mountain, I want you to picture this. As they come down, there's this large crowd of people. One of the other Gospels tells us there are a whole bunch of scribes there. That's religious leaders. And there's an argument going on, and the scribes are arguing, and the people are arguing, and we're going to find that there's this man, and he's got a little boy. Uh, he's probably a little bit older now from the time that he was a little boy. He's probably maybe a teenager now. He's, he's, he's got some real problems. He's possessed by a demon, and all kinds of things happen to him. And so we're going to see this conflict goes on because these religious leaders, you can't tell it from the Gospel of Luke, but from the Gospel of Mark and one of the other Gospels as well, there's arguments going on. What's happening? Well, let's see. Look at verse 37. On the next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. Now, the next day, you realize that when he went on top of the Mount of Transfiguration, they spent the whole night there. This is the next day. They've come down, and they've come down from a mountain, and they're in the northern part of Israel, and most people believe that that mountain was called Mount Hermon. Of course, that's Hermon, Mount Hermon is there now. It's near the Sea of Galilee. It's the tallest mountain in that area. So most believe that's the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus uh, went with his men. When they come down, there's a large crowd to meet them. In fact, it says, uh, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. What one of the other gospels says, the people started running to Jesus when they saw him. See, they'd been arguing over something, and then all of a sudden they see Jesus, and it's almost like you see him say, there he is, let's go. And people started running to meet Jesus when he came off that mountain. There's been a conflict between the disciples, some religious leaders, a man, and his son. And so seeing Jesus, they run to him, and basically they're going to say, Okay, Jesus, you better tell us what to do here. And that's what it's going to be about. Here's the problem. A man from the crowd shouted, saying, this is verse 38, A man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only boy. Now, there's a problem, and you can see people running, and they're all talking. Well, this man shouts very loudly out, and he says, Teacher, which is a sign of respect. He says, respect to Jesus. He said, I beg you, look at my son, for he's my only boy. Now, he doesn't say, I'm asking you. He says, I'm begging you. He says, this is my only boy. Now, I want you to understand in that day and time that for the family, the oldest son was the key. He got the double portion. That was the key. If you only had one son, I mean, that, that, you know, he's very important because when the dad would get old, if the dad didn't die and was really an older man, it was the responsibility of the oldest son to take care of the dad. He's saying, this is my only boy. This is my boy in my old age. This is my boy that's got to be there when I'm old and I can't take care of myself. He says, you got to help me. Look at my boy, for he's my, look at my son, he's my only boy. Well, what's the problem? Well, he tells us, verse 39. He says, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. 
Now, when you look at this, if you, sometimes if we read it so fast, we miss it. The words, in, in the original language, these words are, every one of these words are strong. It says, a spirit seizes him. The word seize there means like to reach out and to pull back. He says, here he's going through life and this, this demon, this spirit grabs him. And, and then it says, he screams. And that word for scream means to shout really loud. So he, he starts screaming. Then it throws him into a convulsion. His whole body begins to shake. And it says he begins to foam at the mouth. And then he says, and only with difficulty does it leave him. Finally, after a while, that demon leaves him. And it says, mauling him as he is, leaves. And the word maul literally means to crush. It says that it's like it's crushing him as it leaves him. Now picture this. This poor boy is being controlled by a demon. And it looks almost as if this demon is trying to kill him. And so here you can see this daddy saying, you got to help my boy. See, this demon comes upon him and, and grabs him and, and just throws him down. And he starts foaming and he's twisting all around. And, and, and then when it leaves him, it just like crushes him. Now in this passage, this demon sometimes is called a spirit, an unclean spirit, and a demon. Let's, let's think about this for just a second. Let's talk about these beings. First of all, a demon is an angel, a spirit being created by God. See, what angels are, they're spirit beings created by God. They're human beings, then there's the divine being, which is God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then there's these, these beings, which we call angelic beings, spirit beings created by God. There are actually two kinds of angels. We, sometimes we just say good and bad. There are angels that are the good angels that we say that, that follow God. And, and uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that these angels are serving God and serving us. They're good angels. But then there are angels that we call bad angels, which sometimes we call them demons. Now, what are these angels? Well, these demons followed Lucifer when he rebelled from God. As you know, there was an angel called Lucifer, son of the morning. He guarded the throne of God. The book of Isaiah tells us that he uh, had what we call five I wills in that passage where he decides that he's going to be like God. And he even says, I will be like the Most High. And he is in pride, rebels against a true God. And so God removed Lucifer. We call him Satan. We call him the devil. He's called the dragon of old. There's about 30 names that he goes by in the scripture, but most of us just say the devil. And he, God cast the devil out from being around the throne of God. The best we can tell from Scripture is found over in the book of Revelation that it seemed a third of the angels followed Lucifer. And when they followed Lucifer, they call, they call them fallen angels or demons. And so there's a whole bunch of good angels which serve God and serve us, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. And then there are these demonic beings, spirit beings, that are in opposition to God. And notice we've got uh, that, uh, go to the next slide, that their goal, the bottom line goal, is they would love to stop people from believing. Now let me tell you something. Satan and the demons do not care if you go to church. In fact, they would love for people to go to church and think that by going to church and doing good, somehow they're pleasing God. They would rather have a person going to church thinking that by getting baptized, going to church, living a good life, trying to do the right things, that somehow they're getting to God. They would much rather have a person believing that. Because if they believe that, they're never going to trust in Christ because they think their goodness is doing it. So the demonic beings do not want people to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. The second thing is they do trust Christ. They don't want people to serve. They do not want people to serve the living God. So they want the focus off anything other than God. They, they, will take, they want the focus on anything other than God. And that's what they want to do. Now, 
much, there was much demonic activity during the time of the ministry of Christ on this earth. Now, there's something you may have never understood. A lot of people have, but some people haven't. You understand, when Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross, he became a human being. God, man, and he died to pay for the sins of mankind. He is the savior of mankind. He is not the savior of demons. Jesus Christ did not die to pay for the sins of the rebellious demons. There is no salvation for fallen angels. In fact, the lake of fire, which we call hell, if you read Matthew chapter 24, says that the lake of fire was made for the devil and his angels. Jesus is the judge of the demons. He is not a savior. That's why the Bible, whenever you see that, it's not in this passage, but a lot of times when you see a demon and Jesus, the demons will fall down before Jesus and they'll say, Son of God, have you come to judge us before our time? That's why the book of James chapter 2, when it says, Even the demons believe and tremble. They believe that Jesus is their judge. That's why they tremble. So understand that. So when you, and it seems to be that when Jesus was on the earth, there was an increase in demonic activity because they're in open rebellion against, against God. And so here's what we see. Here's this, this boy. We don't know how old he is, but it appears that he's probably close to being teenage years that, um, that he's, he's being possessed by this demon and, and controlling him and hurting him and harming him. Notice, what, what the man goes on to say. And let me read the verse again. He says, The Spirit seizes him, he screams, convulsion, foaming at the mouth, and then when it leaves him, it mauls him, it, it crushes him as it leaves. And then he says this, I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. Now, it, it looks sort of bad. It, it, you know, we could say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Jesus gave authority to his disciples. Those 12 men went out that one time, and, and when they came back, they said the demons listened to us. I mean, they healed people and did all that. So why aren't they able to do this right now? Well, I want you to understand that you can't tell it from this passage. We're going to see it by going to the Gospel of Mark. That the issue is this man is not believing that Jesus could do this. This is going to be the issue. Jesus wants this man to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and can take care and heal his son. He's not doing that. In fact, we can't tell it from here, but if you go to the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew, it, it seems to be that there were all these scribes there, and it may be that the scribes put this man up to this because they would all say, oh, this is a hopeless situation. Why don't you see what Jesus can do? He will fail, and then we'll make Jesus look bad. That's what some people say happened here. We don't know. I'm going to show you from the Gospel of Mark that this man at this stage doesn't believe Jesus can do this. And that's one reason. Now, Jesus' answer is a very strong answer. And, and that's why if you don't understand that this man at this stage doesn't really, he doesn't believe that Jesus could do it. Watch. He says, I begged your disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Look what Jesus says. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Now, when it says, you unbelieving and perverted, it's plural there. He's not just talking to the man. I think he's talking to those religious leaders. I think he's talking to those people. And he's saying, you unbelieving 
people. See, they haven't believed in Jesus. The, the religious leaders didn't want to believe in Jesus. They, they saw his miracles. They saw the things that he did. But they thought if, if everybody follows Jesus, they'll lose their positions. They did not want to believe in him. And so Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Now, I want you to see something because we have to go hold your place in Luke chapter 9 and turn over to Mark chapter 9. Just one book back to chapter 9. And I want you to look first at verse 19. If you just go back there. And I want you to see it because Mark gives us a little bit different details. He gives us some different things that Luke doesn't. That's one thing that's so impressive. When you study the Bible, you find out that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all deal with many of the same issues, same stories. But all of them have different points, reasons, and, and things to make. You know that Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Mark presents Jesus as the servant. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. John presents Jesus as God. So that's why the views in the Gospels are a little bit different. Well, here's Mark, and he gives us a little bit different details on what happened. Look back at verse 19. This is right after uh, this happened. The man told him what happened. He says, and he answered them, just Jesus speaking. He says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? (coughs) How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. Watch. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsion. And falling on the ground, he'd been rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Now, here's the information that Mark gives us that Luke doesn't. And Jesus asked his father. Jesus said to him, how long has this been happening to him? And the man says, from childhood. Jesus says, how long has this been going on? Now, Luke doesn't tell us that. Mark does. How long has it been? And the man says, from the time he's a little boy. So he's, oh, he's growing up. Now, he gives more information. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. This demon doesn't want this boy to live. Now, here's the key to the whole thing. Watch the next statement that the man makes. Verse 22, it is often, he is often throwing both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, I want you to notice what he says. If, if you can help us, if you can do anything. This man at this stage doesn't believe Jesus can How do I know that? Look at the next verse. Look what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, if you can. See, he said to Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus went, if you can. What do you mean, if you can? All things are possible when you believe. Look at the verse. If you can do anything, please take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can. All things are possible to him who believes. See, this man hasn't come to the point that he believes that Jesus could actually do this. There have been people, you remember the guy that called for Jesus and before Jesus got there, he said, listen, you don't even have to come because I know Jesus. All you have to do is just say the word and he'll be healed. That man knew Jesus could do it. This guy's doubting at this stage. And I think what Jesus wants, he wants this man to believe him. Look at the next verse. It's amazing. Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes immediately. Watch. The boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I do believe. I think right there he said, I do believe you can do it. But help my unbelief. Because, you know, we talked about it in my science school class. Sometimes you can believe something and at the same time doubt things. I mean, you can say, I believe, but 
help me because I'm having trouble believing. I mean, I believe, but I'm doubting. And, and so he's, the boy, the dad uh, says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I think right there, this man actually now says, I believe you can do this. I want you to go back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Let's see what happens. Verse 41, as you're turning back there, he says, And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here and watch. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground, threw him into convulsion. And we saw that in the other passage. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to the Father. So here he is saying, okay, bring him. And just as he comes, he's falling down. Jesus says to him, how long has it been this way since he was a little boy? If you could just help us. And he went, what do you mean if you can? All things are possible to who who believes. And the guy says, well, I believe. I just help my unbelief. And so what does Jesus do? He rebukes the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. See, we see Jesus' authority. See, we've been seeing all the way through the book that Jesus has power and authority as the Son of God, as the Savior, as the Messiah. We've seen He has authority over nature, over disease, over demons, over death, even the authority to forgive sins. And so right here, we see His authority over this demon. One of the other Gospels tells us that Jesus said to that demon to come out and don't ever come back again. Jesus heals completely. Jesus takes care of this problem beyond what that man could ever imagine. And I want you to understand, Jesus takes care of your problems beyond what you could ever imagine. What Jesus wants us to do is to trust Him, to believe Him in that same way. I want you to think about this. See, first of all, you've got to trust Him for your salvation. You have to believe that Jesus Christ gives you eternal life. That is salvation. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. And He offers as a gift eternal life to anyone who will believe. Every one of you in this room, if you have eternal life, if you have salvation, it's because you believed Jesus would give you eternal life. You believed in Him as your Savior. It is that simple. You trusted Him as Savior. Not only does God want us to believe in Him as for the salvation, but He wants you to trust Him and believe Him day after day, moment by moment. He's the provider, protector. He can do all things. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We must trust Him daily as we go through life, beginning with the whole issue of salvation, going all the way through our Christian life. We must believe Him. Well, what happened? Look at the response by the people. Look at verse 43. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God, but while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples... Now, they were all amazed. Now, this is a very unique word. When it says they were all amazed, you may think they were all going, well, what do you know about that? Wow. This word literally means to panic. It has an idea of awe. It was like they not only went, whoa, they went, whoa, this is, this, is, this, is, this is scary. It's so wild. It's scary what he did. The word literally means to be a panic. They were awed by his power. They were all amazed, panicked at the greatness of God. Now, just think about it. Everybody's marveling. Everybody's having it. says, while everybody was marveling all he was doing, he said to his disciples. Now, people got caught up in the wrong thing, and maybe the disciples were thinking, hey, hey, isn't this the most amazing thing? Listen, Jesus didn't come to do those miracles. Jesus came to die on the cross, to pay for the sins, to rise again and give eternal life. That's his first coming. The miracles only pointed out who he is. He didn't come to do all the miracles. 
And right now, all of a sudden, the focus is on everybody's going, wow, look what he did. What does he say to his disciples? Notice, while everyone was marveling, this is halfway through verse 43, while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said to his disciples, watch, let these words sink into your ears. He's saying, listen very carefully. For the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And he said, listen carefully. Now, you don't get all excited about all this stuff because that's not the issue. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. That's what he's already told them. He's going to Jerusalem and they're going to arrest him and they're going to try him and they're going to kill him. He's going to die on the cross. That's what he's telling them. Jesus came to die for us, to take our sin upon himself, to be the sacrifice and the substitute for the sins of the world. He is the promised Savior, the one sent by God. And he's reminding them of why he came. And I want you to think about that. As he is reminding them why he has come, why? John 3.17, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, Mark 10.45 tells us he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Why did Jesus come? He came to die for us and to pay for our sins. How did they respond to this? Look at this next verse, 45. They did not understand this statement. And it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. They didn't get it. See, they missed the truth. Let me tell you, they have a hard time realizing what's going on and what's about to happen. And you would too. If you were with Jesus every day and you saw these miracles and you saw his, you heard it and you believed in him as the Messiah and the Savior, what you're saying is he's the king. He's the Savior. He's going to rule the world. One of these days he's going to whip these Romans and we're going to rule with him. That's why they argue over who's going to have the best seat. They're missing the fact. If you'd come to them and said, but what about Isaiah 53 where it says he's going to suffer and die? They might go, I don't don't know about that one. I don't understand it. And see, they're missing it. It says they did not understand this statement and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Now, there's, what's going on here? I think there's twofold. First of all, first of all, from man's side, there are times that they just didn't grasp it. They just didn't understand it. Uh, I mean, if you remember the time that, that in, in uh, Matthew 16, where Jesus said, "Who do the people say that I am?" and Peter just jumped out and said, "You're the Son of God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah." And Jesus said, "Great answer." And then he said, "And I'm going to Jerusalem to die and to rise again." And Peter said, "No, I'm not going to let you die." And then Jesus said, "Bad answer." All right? See, one minute they got it, one minute they didn't get it. And sometimes in our lives it's the same way. And we can see that it says they didn't... And so from the man's side, sometimes they had a lot of trouble putting together Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, and Zechariah 9, the ruling king. They just didn't always grasp it. But there's a second thing here in this, and that's from God's side. This passage actually says it was concealed from them so they would not perceive it. And we would go, I don't get that, and I don't either. And for some reason, God did not want them to completely put all this together. There were things that he told them. If you remember in in, uh, John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, the upper room discourse, he said, there are many other things I would like to teach you. You are not ready to understand them yet. When the Holy Spirit comes inside you, you'll begin to grasp some of these things. There are things that he's teaching them they can't put together. And he doesn't even have for them at this stage to put it all together. You realize how fortunate we are. 
We have the whole Bible. We have Genesis to Revelation. We got the beginning and the ends. We got it all. If somebody said to you, what did Jesus do? We'd say, well, he died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, sent it back to heaven, coming back. We got it all. They didn't grasp it all. They didn't put this stuff together. And so Jesus said, I'm going to be over and betrayed into the hands of sinful men. And they're going, what did he say? What did he say? What did he mean? What did he mean? You ask him. No, you ask him. I'm not going to ask him. It says they were afraid to ask him. You ever been afraid to ask something? You know, sometimes we're afraid to find out because we may think that what we're going to find out is not what we want to hear. You know, they're afraid to say, what exactly do you mean? And he'd say, don't you get it? I'm going to go die on the cross and pay for sin. And they don't want that to happen. I want you to understand that. They do not want Jesus to go to the cross. They hadn't understood it yet. They love him. They think he's the Messiah and Savior. They think he's going to rule as king. He's got to die first. The cross must come before the crown. He's got to die and suffer and suffer and die and then reign. They haven't grasped it. If you looked at those guys and said, do you want Jesus to go die? They said, oh, no, we don't want him to die. He has to. They hadn't put it together. They're afraid to ask him. They were afraid to ask him. Sometimes there are things we're afraid to ask because we don't know what the answer is and we don't want to look stupid or, or maybe we... We have an idea what the answer might be, and we don't want that to be the answer. Well, they're all thinking about, yay, ruling. He's thinking about dying, and watch what they do. They start talking about who's going to be the best when he comes as the king. Notice verse 46. An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. Now, if they were talking about who's going to be great in the kingdom, like which person would be a great person because they live for God, that's one thing. But they're arguing over which one of them is going to be the greatest. And Jesus is going to teach them. And you know what the answer is? It's humility. He has already taught before that if you want to be great for God, you must become a servant. If you want to rule with Jesus Christ, you serve him now. And what he's going to do is going to show the example of this child, this little child he brings there and puts up. And because a child at that time was the most unimportant, the least of all, a child totally had to depend on the father. And what he wants them to say is, you're going to have to humble yourself. You want to be great? You humble yourself and you totally depend on me. You totally depend on the father. That's how you're going to become great. So what does he do? Jesus knowing... What they were thinking in their hearts, he took a child, stood him by his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. He says, See how this child is? He's the least. That's the same as me. I'm the least. I've come to do the will of the Father. If you receive the child, you receive me. You receive me. You receive the Father. We come in humility. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of the Father. You want to be great for God? I bet you every one of us in this room, we'd say, Yeah, I... I would like to do great things for God. What you're going to have to do is humble yourself to say to God, take my life, you use me. I know it's not me, it's not my strength, my power. It is you through me, and I humble myself and say, Lord, you take me, you use me in and through me. That's how you're great for God, because you humble yourself. And you just say, you have to do it, Lord. You have to do it. If we want to be great for God, we've got to be like a child. Humility. That's how, how do you enter the kingdom of God? You enter in childlike faith. How do you live as a believer in childlike faith? You say, God, take my life. Use me for your glory. There's one final thing I want you to see. And they're on the way. And John says something to Jesus. Look what he does. And what Jesus wants to teach him is that unity in ministry. Look what happens. John, in verse 49, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent them because he does not follow along with us. 
You know John's saying? We saw this guy doing stuff, but he's not one of our groups, so we told him, you better stop it. The way it's written in the Greek, it says, this man was ongoing, continuing to cast out demons, and we were continuing trying to stop him. That's what it says. But guess what? He didn't stop. So they came to Jesus. Basically, they're coming to tattle on this guy. We found this guy out there, and he wasn't listening to us, and he's not part of our group, and he was doing stuff, and we told him to stop. He wouldn't listen. What do you think Jesus is going to say? But Jesus said to him, verse 50, Do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. See, he's really saying, listen, not everybody's in the same group. And there are many people who believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life and they hold to the grace message and they're just like us. They're not in our same group. We're all in this thing together. Now, I'm not saying the people who have a false message and an unclear message and don't believe the Bible, they're not in our group. But there are a lot of people who believe in the grace message of salvation and teaching the Bible and they may not be in our same little group, but we're all in this ministry together. And that's what Jesus is telling them. He says, look, if they're not against you, they're for you. They're with us. All people who know Jesus Christ as Savior, understanding the grace message, teaching the Bible and those kind of things, we're in this ministry together. May we encourage and pray for each other. What have we seen? Well, they come down from this mountain and they're met by this crowd and this man and this boy and this demon keeps grabbing this boy trying to kill him and the father says, if you can, and Jesus says, if you can, you have to believe. All things are possible to those who believe. And the man says, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so Jesus heals the boy and uh, and then right in the midst of all this and everybody's all fired up, Jesus says, I'm going to go die. They didn't grasp it. They are arguing over who's the best one, who's going to be the greatest one in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you want to be great? You're going to have to be like a little child. You're going to have to humble yourself and let me work through you. That's the bottom line. And then the disciples try to stop some man. And Jesus said, listen, if he's with us, he's not against us. There's a lot in this passage. Let me give you some applications. Here's the first one. Let's trust Christ as we go through our lives. See, faith is the key. Faith is the key for salvation. Faith is the key for the Christian life. That's how it works. A. Trust Him for eternal life. It's that simple. We believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is that simple. You believe Jesus Christ will save you. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room have trusted in Christ. If you haven't, if there's someone out there today that says, ah, you know, if I were to die, I don't know for sure if I'm going to heaven. Listen, I can guarantee you this. That if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, by the guarantee of the Scripture, the moment you believe in Him, He gives you eternal life, and you will have an eternal relationship with Him. And you can do it right where you're sitting right now. You don't have to come down. You don't have to make any profession. You don't have to do any of that. You believe that Jesus Christ saves you. It's that simple. There's a second aspect, and that's we trust Him in our Christian lives. As we go through life, we trust Him. It's a walk of faith. We believe the Word of God. We live by the Scripture, so we have to do that. Second application is understand God's plan to save mankind. I mean, think about it. A, know the good, I think A is, know the good news. Jesus Christ, the plan is that Jesus would go to the cross, die, pay for sin, and rise again. That's the good news message. We need to be able to tell people that. See, they didn't grasp it at this time. They're saying, uh, we don't understand what he means that he's going to Jerusalem and die. They didn't grasp it. We do. 
We know the good news message. So we need to proclaim that message. Understand it. Second thing here is know that all believers are united in ministry. When I say all believers, I'm talking about believers who understand the Scripture, who understand the grace message, and are proclaiming the clear grace message of salvation. We are united in ministry. There are people who don't believe the Bible. There are people who don't believe a grace message of salvation. We are not united with them in ministry. But those who hold to the truths of the Scripture, live by the Bible, teach the saving message of Jesus Christ by faith, we are all united in ministry there. Let's pray for one another and help each other. The third thing is this. Understand that greatness comes by humility. As that child, he put that child up who was the, the least. In fact, notice in that passage where he says, For he who is least among you, this is the great one. When we humble ourselves, God will use us to be great for Him. I so you want to be great for God? you want to be able to, when He stands before you, Him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? You have to today say, Lord, I just want my life to count for you. I realize it's not me, it's not my strength, it's not my abilities. It's you through me. It's your word, your power, your spiritual gifts, all of these things. You use me for your glory. And that's humility, because it's not you. And He gets all the glory every time. May we come to God in humility, not only trusting Him for eternal life, but trusting Him daily as we seek to use the gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given us as we proclaim the good news message in our community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. It's so powerful. Lord, we realize that we have to trust you. Not only do we begin by trusting you for for eternal life and we have salvation and, and we're saved and saved forever, but we trust you moment by moment, day after day as we go through life. Lord, we know your plan that Jesus died and rose again and that we want to share that message with people in this community. And Lord, we know there are a lot of people who are not necessarily even in our church, but but have that message and, and we want to pray for them and help all of us together to get this message out. And Lord, we realize that greatness comes by humility. That if we want to be great for you, Lord, and we do, it can't be us, it's you, and it's you through us. And we humble ourselves, even as a child, not only humble ourselves for salvation, we come as a child by faith, but we live by faith as we as we humble ourselves to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.